Before I get to my next guest, Donnie Hammond, I want to remind you about a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves have you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also help prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are light. I've picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced, swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factor, and the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021, NB Park is a Zexio ambassador as are Ernie Els and top instructor Martin Hall. See why and how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com, that's X-X-I-O-USA.com, and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back in making his ninth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Donnie Hammond. Let me remind you about Donnie's background. He was born in Frederick, Maryland, which is in the northern part of Maryland near the Virginia and West Virginia border. Played his college golf at Jacksonville University, where he was a four-year letterman. As a sophomore, he finished seventh in the 1977 Sun Belt Championship, and as a senior, he won it by six strokes. He would go on to lead Jacksonville University to two Sun Belt Conference Championships. He's a charter member of their Sports Hall of Fame. Donnie earned his tour card by being the medalist at the 1982 PGA Tour Qualifying Tournament at TPC Sawgrass, winning that event by a record 14 strokes. He played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 1998. He won twice out on the regular tour at the 1986 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic and the 1989 Texas Open, where he came within one stroke of the all-time scoring record by shooting a four-round total of 258 at Oak Hill. He won once as well on the Corn Ferry Tour at the 2000 Lakeland Classic. Donnie also won the 1982 Florida Open. Over the course of his career, he's had 42 top 10 finishes, and he's made the cut 70% of the time that he's teed it up. 
And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Donnie, how are you, my friend? Chris, we're doing good. How you doing up there? I'm fantastic, thank you. Tom Patry passes along his uh, his hellos to you as well from the times that you guys played out on the mini tour. I know. I, I heard the end of the show there when he was on. I uh, look forward to maybe running into Tom down in Naples this winter. He does a great job down there. I always try to get a few tips from him, too. I usually meet him on the range during the charity event, so I always try to pick his brain for a little something to think of that day during golf. There you go. Donnie, I want to get uh, your reaction. We're nine days north of the Ryder Cup now. I think, as I was talking to Tom in the first segment, I think many of us went into the event talking about why the U.S. can't win and wondering if they could even get along with one another. And then we exit the event saying that uh, they may be the dominant team over the next several Ryder Cups and the European team may be too old, too thin, all that sort of stuff, all that overreaction Monday that we hear about. What were your thoughts from what you saw at the Ryder Cup? Well, going into the Ryder Cup, I thought, how are you going to beat these guys? Sander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, Bryson, Brooks. I, I mean, I mean, the guys, would they have two of the top two, three, four, five, six in the world ranking? I just thought this is too good a team that they have to win this event. If they don't win this one, uh, you know, they're really going to have to look at, uh, a different strategy coming into the tournament. But I thought it was uh, very exciting to watch, and the golf was uh, exceptional. Dustin Johnson was unbelievable, uh, you know, the power that he has. And then to be able to manipulate the wedges like he did on a on a course like Whistling Straits was was just phenomenal. And, you know, the, the camaraderie was there. You, you get some of the younger guys that have been friends for 10 or 15 years that have been competing you know, all the way back to junior golf. And now, you know, they're actual friends. They're, everybody likes being with each other, except for maybe two of the guys. Uh, but the, you know, the, the camaraderie was there. The golf was there. Golf course was beautiful too. Uh, Whistling Straits presented itself really nicely and it was a thrill to watch. I, I almost wished it was going to get a little closer there on Sunday, but those guys are just too tough. Patrick Cantley, Dust, you know, Justin Thomas, uh, the golf, it, it was just too good. Tony, uh, a couple of guys really stuck out to me on top of, I mean, obviously Dustin going final was a tremendous feat. But you look at a kid like Scotty Scheffler, who was a captain's pick. Some of us may not have been sure that that was a good pick. You know, the whether you might go with someone like Webb Simpson or Patrick Reed, and there's some controversy and that sort of thing. But boy. Scotty Sheffern, we know what a great golfer he is. We've seen it over the last couple of years. But to go out there and, and to pair with uh, Bryson DeChambeau, they go one and one in the team piece, you know, between the, with the four ball and that sort of thing. Uh, but then to go out and beat John Rahm four and three on Sunday really put a stamp on his performance. What did you think about what you saw from Scheffler? I think that's a great point, Chris. I think that's going to do so much for him next year when he has a chance to come up and you know, contend in a major, he's going to look back on that, you know, beating the best player in the world in the biggest stage being the Ryder Cup. He's going to be able to go back to that and remember that and know that he has what it takes. And, you know, that'll last a few years in his memory bank. You always remember the good things as a pro golfer. You kind of forget the bad things quickly uh, if you're going to be good. But 
that that should do a lot for him. I thought it was a great pick for Steve Stricker to take him. A little bit risky, but that's you know that's where the game's going now. You got to get the young guys under the gun, get them out there playing in these big events because they're the ones that are going to be there, you know, for the next ten or fifteen years. So, uh, great pick from Steve Stricker. He did a great job, and uh, Scotty Scheffler. He's a he's going to be a star. He already is a star, but he's even going to get better. I think. And Donnie DeChambeau came in with a a personal brand that seemed to be struggling a bit. He was obviously getting um, heckled by the fans. He was refusing to talk to the media. He was, um, you know, the whole Brooks thing was about to, you know, boil over. And uh, he broke up with, uh, you know, his caddy. So there, there were a lot of things kind of mounting up on the negative side for him. But then. He sort of came in there and, and in my opinion, kind of won over the fans for sure. I mean, uh, like I say, he and Scheffler go one and one as a, as a team. But then out there against Sergio on Sunday, he goes out and drives the first green, walks off, sort of raises his putter over his head to, I think, one, to acknowledge the fans and their cheering, and two, to say, this is what I'm hitting next on a par four, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And then he drains That's the eagle putt. Right? That's something I always wanted to do. Not not even the Ryder Cup, just in the PGA Tour, drive off the first hole, par four, and then have the caddy hand your putter. And you walk <laughs> 320 yards with your putter, waving to the people, yes, hi, I have a 30-footer for Eagle, and then knock the putt in. But he, he brings a lot of excitement. He's fun to watch. Uh, he's fun to watch warm up, just hitting drivers on the, on the range. Uh, and he's maturing. He's learning, you know, learning the things that it's going to take him to be able to maybe be the best player in the world at one point, but that's going to be with the support of the fans and, you know, being, having a good relationship with the media will help too. It just makes life so much easier. So he's learning a lot this year. And I think he did learn a lot at the Ryder Cup. Tony switching gears a little bit. And I've talked before on this show, how I kind of liken the PGA tour to a traveling show. You guys roll into town, you go out, you perform for the fans for six or seven days and roll up the tents and move on to the next city. Did it feel that way to you when you were out on tour and, and, you know, kind of along those same lines? What is some of the sort of less glamorous side of being out on the PGA tour? Things that we didn't know about and didn't see that makes being out on tour a bit of a challenge on top of being a heck of a lot of fun. I'll tell you a couple of funny little stories. One about Bob Hope about coming into town. But I'll start out with the less glamorous part of the tour, without a doubt, is going from baggage claim with your club glove, you know, 50-pound golf bag with balls and shoes and things, and then your luggage, the rest of your luggage, and trying to throw all of that onto one of those rent-a-car buses where there's 15 or 20 people trying to get on. And you have 100 pounds of luggage that you're trying to single-handedly uh, get up onto this bus in a hurry. The next day you wake up and your back sore and you wonder why. And it's, it's because of that rental bus. That was always the pain for me. Um, you know, every once in a while you get a little bit of help, but you know, the traveling was tough. Uh, you know, sitting alone a lot of times in hotel rooms or sitting in a plane at 35,000 feet, you know, you're heading out on the road for two weeks away from your family was, uh, you know, you start getting, missing them, you know, and you're only two hours 
you know, after leaving home. So that was the tough part. But once you get there and you get in a nice hotel and you start, you know, playing your practice rounds and you get into the tournament, then you start, uh, you know, you start getting into it a little bit. But, uh, the year after I won the Hope, I was paired with Bob Hope the first round and President Jerry Ford. And I played with Tip O'Neill and Bob, we were walking up the maybe like the third or fourth hole and he's recapping the previous year. And he said, Donnie, you just rolled into town last year. You won the tournament. You got the money. And then you left. And I kind of nodded a little bit. And I said, I, I think that's exactly the way it happened, Bob. <laughs> and so it was, it's like week to week. We come in. We try to put on a little show and try to make a little money. And then, and then we head to Phoenix the next week. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's changed a little bit, the tour. Uh, guys are traveling a little easier these days and making a little more money, I think, than we used to. But, you know, it's pretty much the same show and, you know, the same game. It's, um, a lot of the same golf courses, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like a little bit like a traveling circus. And Donnie, you mentioned winning that hope and you did it in 86 in a playoff over John Cuckoo. Oh, by the way, is going to be joining me here next week, but. You guys finished that tournament 25 under par, which is around the winning score at that tournament every year. So is your mindset different when you're going into a tournament that you know you're going to have to be shooting well into the 25, you know, somewhere in that area under par in order to win? Does the strategy change knowing you're going to need to make a lot of birdies in order to contend? Yeah, the strategy actually kind of plays itself out because a lot of times in tournaments, you know, in the desert, you get perfect weather for the whole week. And it was a five round tournament. So you get there and some weeks, you know, the wind doesn't blow any days and it's 80, 82 degrees every day. The greens are absolutely perfect. So the golf course is just sitting there and you know, you know, you're going to have to shoot three or four under a day to maybe just to make the cut, you know, after four days. So. There is a little bit of pressure in that respect. Um, and, you know, if you're one of the guys that expects to win every week, you know, you got to start posting four, five, six under every day. So, you know, you think about that a little bit, but usually, you know, those courses weren't the most difficult there at the, at the Hope or even in Phoenix. And, you know, there's just par fives that you can reach fairly easy. So usually you kind of got under par fairly quick out there and then you just try to make as you know, make as many birdies as you could. And Donnie, most of us go through times when we're playing really, really well, and then all of a sudden we go out and play, and it's like we never played the game before. Did you ever go through a time when your swing suddenly went on vacation without you? Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. It's sometimes in the evening on the range you think, I've got it. This is it. I'm going to be a top 10 player. I'm going to be a top ten, five player on tour. This is what I need to be working on. And you're just ripping it on the range and you go out the next day and you shoot 73 or 74. And it's like, what happened? And it, you know, there's a lot of circumstances that come up during a round of golf when you're playing, you know, fairly difficult golf courses. And it's, you know, it's a game of inches. Sometimes you lip out four or five putts and you shoot 73, but then the next day, basically you roll the ball the same, you hit the ball similar and you know, you had a few of them roll in and you shoot 69. So, um, 
I don't think people think about that a lot, but there's a lot of coincidences that happen that, um, you know, you play a hundred rounds on the tour. That's just the way it's going to go. You're going to have good breaks and good things happen some of the days and other days you're not going to get the breaks and you just have to think, well, I hit the ball pretty well. You didn't score well that day, but give yourself a chance tomorrow. So, uh, you just have to kind of experience that over a few years to, to be able to settle into it. And Donnie, I've heard a lot about how guys on tour, particularly back in the 70s and 80s, used to help each other out if they saw a player struggling with a particular shot. Did any of those guys ever approach you and say, hey, Donnie, let me show you something? Um, usually your friends would be the guys that would be helping you. Uh, you know, the guys that you were playing with on the mini tour or friends that you played college golf with. Those would be the guys that knew your game the best. For me, it was Larry Rinker, uh, Ted Treba. We played a little bit, David Peoples. Um, certain of the guys were expert in different parts of the game. Like Rinker was great with the short game. So, you know, he could show you some things in the bunker. Or Paul Azinger, whenever you'd see Zinger practicing bunker shots, you'd kind of cruise over there and see if you could pick up a little thing. And he'd be happy to help you. Um, you know, he knew he was probably the best bunker player on tour. And he was, you know, he was glad to help because we were similar ages. So, uh, even, even some of the older guys would help that were, you know, 10 or 15 years older than us. Uh, Lee Trevino, uh, didn't, I don't remember working much with, uh, with Arnold or Arnold really didn't have a lot of swing keys, really. He just kind of ripped it, uh, played by feel, but, um, Tom Watson a little bit offered advice. Ben Crenshaw was, was good in that respect. But it, that's the way it was. I mean, guys are there to help you. There's, you know, 150 guys in the tournament and, um, you know, it's a long season. So, uh, guys are pretty friendly as far as helping you with uh, certain parts of your game. Donnie, just a couple more before I let you go. And we've seen a rash of players splitting with their caddies over the last couple of weeks, whether it's Justin Thomas and Jimmy Johnson mutually going their separate ways or a while back Bryson and Tim Tucker or this week Bobby Watson and Ted Scott after 15 years together. And I understand that every situation is different, but can those relationships be just like any other relationship or coaching situations where, you know what, after a while you just need a different voice on the back? Yeah, I think, you know, like I think it gets a little bit stale after a certain period of time. These days, you know, the caddies seem to be developing a lot more opportunities, whether it's bones with TV or, you know, you see on Twitter where the caddies have a lot more presence, um, doing different things. And they're, you know, they're almost like as popular as some of the players, some of the caddies. So, you know, they're, they're presented with more options these days, uh, not as much reliant maybe on the pros, but it's, you know, you spend a lot of time with your caddy and when you get into a situation where it's not, you know, you're not having as much fun as you used to five years ago or six years ago. Pretty much both you and the caddy realize that. And it's, you know, it's kind of inevitable that, you know, a breakup will occur like that. So actually surprising it doesn't happen more often, uh, you know, the time that you spend with a caddy. But uh, there has been, you know, yeah, three or four in the last uh, three weeks or so. You're right. And Donnie, there are a lot of guys out on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour have, have pretty swings. 
But having a pretty swing doesn't guarantee success or anything. Talk about what it takes beyond having a good swing to be successful out on the uh, PGA Tour at that level. You know, I've, I was teaching um, some young players that were on the mini tours and things, and I, I always talk about there's just there has to be 15 or 20 intangibles that'll make the difference to be able to go from a really good player on the mini tour to be able to go qualify to get on the tour and then to be a success on the PGA tour. One of them is to be able to travel, be able to get around and be comfortable getting to the site and manage your time to be able to put plenty of effort into your practice rounds. Uh, you know, decisions are a big thing when you, you know, when you, when you first get on tour, you might have three or four or five chances to, you know, to have a really good tournament and the decisions you make on that Sunday or oftentimes make the difference whether you keep your card that year or you finish 135th on the money or 146th. You know, you have to keep that round together, and that's crucial for, you know, a first- or second-year player is to be able to stay out there on tour and to be able to finish off that Sunday with a 70 or 71 and finish third or fourth. Uh, so that, that really makes a difference for the players. Um, you know, they're all coached well. They swing so much better than we used to, better trained. The equipment has, you know, gotten a lot of the players more equal. So, you know, there's, there's probably just, um, you know, there's a few less intangibles that are around these days, but, um, you know, staying out there the first year or two, that's a big thing is try to keep your card. And Donnie, beyond golf, you know, we're both have a, a huge affection for space travel, NASA, now SpaceX. We just had the first civilian mission to orbit the Earth for three days. And I tell my wife all the time, we were independently wealthy. I'd be next in line to go. Would you go if you could? Yeah, I'd go. Let's, let's both go. You, you could, we could do a show up there. <laughs> yeah, we could. That's right. We could do a golf show. Maybe then, maybe an astronaut wants to learn golf and we could be right there for him. You could interview him and I could help him. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of civilians are going up and. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I would go. It, it seems to be, uh, they seem to be going off pretty much right on the clock these days and things seem pretty reliable. It's pretty exciting to see what's happening with SpaceX and Blue Origin with Bezos and just a lot of, a lot of cool things happening. Donnie, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can follow you online and on social media. Well, I'm down here selling a lot of houses now, luxury golf homes around Florida. So just go to DonnieHammond.com. Uh, come down. We might play golf for three days and we can find a home, whether it's Palm Beach, Orlando. Um, you know, we'll find you the right golf course. But I wanted to congratulate you doing so well with your podcast now. I've just been noticing the last couple of weeks you're moving toward the top and you're doing great. So yeah, wanted to, I wanted to say nice going on that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Donnie. It's great. Thanks to a great guest like you, my friend. I can't thank you enough, Donnie, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Always great spending time with you. I hope we get the privilege of catching up again soon. I hope so, Chris. I appreciate you having me on, and you have you take care of the rest of the summer. Thanks. Thanks, Donnie. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, Donnie. That's a great Donnie Hammond. What a great guy. And I tell you what, nine times he's been on the show now, and each one of those times has been A, a lot of fun, and B, a huge privilege. 
a guy who had a lot of success out on the PGA Tour and uh, just a fine human being. Donnie always makes the segment so much fun. Hopefully, we get the privilege of catching up again with Donnie real soon.